Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Passing Dimes. My name is Josh Nickel, and really excited for today's guest. He was a member of Team BC's indoor provincial team. He went on to play for UBC. He was on our junior national team for two summers. He played pro indoor in Czech, and we got him. We got him on the beach. So happy to have him. So happy to have him move to Toronto and, and take a shot at this beach thing full time. Welcome to the show, Alex Russell. Alex, thanks for doing this, man. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be part of the show. Awesome. I love these BC guys because uh, I'd love to hear some stories. You know, there's, I don't, I don't think there's a BC Ontario hatred. There's, there's a rivalry <laughs> there, though. So it's good to have you out here and maybe you can bridge the gap for us, I think. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. You guys aren't as bad as everybody makes you out to be. <laughs> See, that's a start. That's a start. So we've had Seymour on. We've got you. I think uh, slowly but surely we're going we're gonna to get this thing going. That was good. Except it, uh, I feel like at Van Open, there's still going to be some Ontarable jokes oh, and stuff like that. I, I feel like it's well appreciated by the Ontarable guys, too. So. <laughs> well, it's, it's good to be the villain every once in a while. You know, you gotta, you got to be the villain. That's true. I think the people who get the most offended are the ones who are like, why don't you like me? But people like Dallas who like embrace the villain stuff, they actually go on to enjoy it, right? Definitely, so, definitely. And if you can't skyball, you're going to get booed no matter where you're from. There. <laughs> oh, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll get to that in a second, but let's set, let's set the scene here. So growing up in BC, what was your start into volleyball? Was it like a grade school thing? Uh, was it a sibling thing? Like, how did you start volleyball and what made you really go all in on this? Uh, well, both my parents definitely started there. Uh, my dad played in the 76 Olympics for Canada. He was the captain of the team at the time. And my mom played for Dalhousie. Uh, so they big volleyball fan. All of my older siblings played volleyball. And my dad actually started the Focus Volleyball Club back in BC, which I was a part of starting from like age 13 or even 12, I think. I was playing indoor club volleyball, maybe a year up. And uh, yeah, that they, they were my coaches most of the time. I had some other coaches here and there, but my dad coached me in club and then eventually in school. He came to my high school and coached also. So yeah, they were huge in the development of my game. We also played um, beach volleyball pretty much every summer with my family, my sisters and brothers and cousins and stuff would go to the beach and play on the Sunshine Coast where my family has a, a place there. So walking distance from beach courts. So it's kind of an all around family activity. <laughs> Now, did you know how challenging that was, like, for your mom to play at Dalhousie and your, for your dad to be Olympian? Like, when you were a little kid, did you understand, like, the magnitude of that? Or did it take till like, now to realize that how hard those are, right? Not, not, I didn't understand it, like, even in the slightest. <laughs> like, at, now I'm, like, so proud of, like, that. Just be like, my, yeah, my dad was an Olympian. That's pretty surreal. And obviously that's my goal also, to be a, an Olympian on the beach now. So, and, yeah, my mom, like has played at a very high level also. It's pretty, pretty cool. Now, when did it click for you uh, during either high school or club that you could go on and play university or that you had a shot at like a junior national team or a national team thing? Was it was it early on that you would say like as a, as a 12 year old you knew this was gonna happen or did it take a little bit later? Uh, definitely took a little bit later. I, you know, I was always a tall guy. I, I had the skills cause I was always playing. Uh, so I, I was often a setter growing up and playing different positions, a little bit outside wherever I could get the ball on. Cause I was playing team BC, like when I was two years too young to be playing and cause my dad was the coach around. So it would just get me in there or whatever. And uh, I would just set these bigger guys and, you know, 
they they all loved it. Like I'd get like a block once in a while, and they'd go crazy because <laughs> this young kid's blocking like the superstar left side or whatever. Uh, but you know, I never really like. I always wanted to go to UBC. I remember that or SFU because like, I knew those were the good schools in BC. And then as I kind of got older, I was like, oh, maybe like volleyball. Like I'm doing pretty good at this. Like like a lot of the other guys my age are talking about, you know, going to these schools or whatever. And started looking at other options, and but I ended up going back to like what I had thought as a kid, like oh, UBC is like one of the best schools, uh, and yeah stayed closer to home which is cool nice and what did you study when you were at ubc uh civil engineering and uh kind of a funny story that uh richard chick was a coach at ubc for those of you who don't know uh during my time he told when i graduated uh i originally wanted to go to mechanical engineering and it didn't fit with like the volleyball schedule like because it was nine to five like no exceptions i even tried talking to like the dean of applied science about that, but they, they couldn't be a little bit lenient. So I just went into my second choice, which was civil engineering. And, uh, yeah, Rich was like, yeah, it was kind of cool. Like wasn't his choice, but it was like, no, there wasn't even a thought that I would kind of not do volleyball or like change my, try and change the volume, not make practices or something. It was like, I'm, I was there for volleyball and then I did an engineering degree. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, friend of the show, Alex Poldman, when he was at Waterloo, he took engineering and he mentioned that some of his profs are just like, how are you a varsity athlete? There's there's kids who just do school and they struggle with the time management, right? So Definitely. you being a Can West guy where the travel's pretty intense mm -hmm. uh, and obviously you being a big part of the team, how did you find you manage that? Because uh, like I said, being an engineer student at baseline is a lot, but then you add in varsity and travel and you guys are going across provinces to play. Like, how did you fit it all in? Yeah, it was kind of nice. Uh, like, obviously the support from like, Richard and Maddie, Matt Laborde was the assistant coach at the time. They'd give us, you know, they'd support us to like be studying, you know, during our breaks and, and whatever, because as, as I said, UBC is pretty prestigious academically. So they knew that a lot of the guys there were not just there for volleyball. And they, they talked a lot about creating uh, individuals that like they wanted to create us, let us become men or whatever, you know, as, as it went on. And, uh, I think they were a big help in like letting us have the time to pursue academics, even on the road and, and whatnot, right? So with your Team BC days, so here in Ontario, you attend what's called like a high performance center and then the provincial team gets selected from there. And then you go to the, I guess it would have been called National Team Challenge Cup when you were playing. Mm -hmm. uh, does BC have a similar format or were you identified or how did you kind of get involved with the provincial team ranks and then obviously leverage that into a national team opportunity? I don't think we have quite the same. There's a high performance camp which they choose it from but it's not really like it doesn't run for a long time it's just a, a day or two i think and they it's basically just a selection camp from from there and you know i've had a number of team bc coaches over the year and i, I feel I, I really like the team bc program because you don't necessarily have the, the same coach every year they'll kind of switch it up so like for example i've had uh pat henley as a coach uh Ben Josephson as a coach and just like seeing different perspectives uh, from all these different like mindsets is really great I, I think and that that develops you so much as a player I think. Any any examples you could kind of give us that what uh, influence a provincial team coach could have on you because you only get them for a couple weeks right I know it is a 
high performance tournament, but it's not like as long as a club season or high yeah, season, not, right? Not so quite. Anything yeah. that really clicked for you that either like Henley or, or Benjo <laughs> were able to give you? Well, yeah, Henley uh, definitely about being mentally tough. I think he he's all about that, and he he instilled. I remember at, being at practice, TBC practice, and in TRU and Kamloops and just like serving balls and Pat's just yelling, that's a muffin, Russell. That's an absolute <laughs> muffin. And just, just like, like getting on me, like every serve had to be aggressive. And I, I pretty much say that every time I go back to serve, I'm, I'm going to be aggressive back there. Uh, it's the same serving pattern. And, you know, when you when you learn something like that, I think that early, I feel like it really gets ingrained in you, and like it's kind of like the standard. Like you don't take one serve off. You know, you're you're going back, you're doing your routine, and and you're going to be aggressive every time. And I, I I love that, and that that's what I say to my partner every time Liam goes back. I'm aggressive serve. Let's go. Like like we got to stay on these guys. Nice. So then you you advance to UBC, and I think the Can West Conference to me is a little bit unique where. Uh, the OUA and RCQ, like we play a schedule where we might play somebody in November and you don't play them again until February, where you guys play back to backs, right? And I think that allows teams to game plan, but then also adjust after the first night, right? So kind of walk us through what Richard Schick or UBC coaches would want to do as far as like, okay, we just played them Friday night. Now, what does like Saturday morning look like? So you don't do the same thing, right? Like, or they, they've adjusted. So now we got to adjust and like the cat and mouse game really begins, right? Definitely, and I think it depends a lot on the outcome of the first game, right? Uh, if 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 something worked, we're gonna we're gonna try and do it again. I, that's my mantra. Also, it's like, but I think there is a little bit of cat and mouse. It's like this worked, but we have to kind of be aware that they may adjust on the second night to this because of how well it worked. Um, I don't. We're it's a quick turnaround, really. Like that night, and then you know. Maybe you watch a little bit. Usually it's more so the coaches watching that night, the game back. They, I know they stayed up pretty late watching game film, trying to figure out what we need to adjust for the second night. And then in the morning, we're, we're watching game film. We have our servant pass. Maybe we watch individually more, more game film in the afternoon and uh, kind of figure out either what went wrong, what went right, you know, what adjustments need to be made. <laughs> There's there there's quite some like turn of events, right? Like you'll see three straight and then three straight the other way, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's not unheard of. And sometimes like we've had flights. I, th I remember one time I think we got we were flying to Saskatoon. Uh, we were playing U of S, and uh, we got caught in Calgary overnight. Luckily, one of uh, Milan Nikic was my setter at UBC as a place there, his dad was there. So the whole team stayed over in Milan Nikic's <laughs> place in Calgary. And uh, <laughs> we're all sleeping on the floor in the basement. Like it's, I don't know, it's, we get there and it's I don't know, 3 a.m. by the time we get there and we're playing the, the next day and we eventually get to uh, Saskatchewan, like pretty much then go head to the game and we maybe Lucky if you got five hours of sleep the night before. Uh, we felt we felt confident going in the game, but we absolutely got slapped that. <laughs> and then, and, but then you know we we took a breath, came back, and we slept them right back the next night. So 
it's like you said, it, it, it can create quite a storyline, which is kind of cool. Uh, but you really have to come out hot the first night, usually. <laughs> now, as a university middle, what would your prep involve? Like, what do you like to see when you're doing any tactical prep against a team? Are you a big rotation guy? Do you want to study the setters? Um, like, would you know what rotation, like, uh, Schick would want to start in? Like, how in-depth would you go with it? Or were you kind of just free-flowing and you were going to block whoever they set? <laughs> Uh, I know I love watching video and I I would love to watch the setter over and over like I feel like once I've seen the setter make a set a certain number of times then like I think like watching the same video actually helps because if I, once I watch it the first time I've seen it the second time I may be able to anticipate it because I've seen it before and then when I see a similar kind of like, maybe he's moving back and he's going to shoot the ball forward. If I see that in game the third time, I've already left. And I'm going to close that block like the split second earlier that you need to be pressed on the block. And I felt like, uh, I feel like a lot of middles don't really understand that. Like it's, about seeing a setter make a set a certain number of times and I would actually ask in the Czech Republic pro like for extra video on setters because I felt like that was the difference in the game for me to make blocks and not make blocks. Now I hear a lot of coaches and in myself I've tried teaching this over the years with very degrees of success are you a big eye work guy where you talk about like ball setter, ball hitter, like, do you, do you consciously go through that sequence? Or are you mostly looking at the setter and then do your eyes shift to who you're closing your block with? Or do you actually get eyes on the hitter pretty early? Uh, I, I did. That's how I started learning. Also ball setter, ball hitter. I think after a certain point, like that's a great place to start. I think, I think all, all middle blockers, middle blockers, especially, but all blockers should learn that, that cue movement. I think af after a certain while, like it's really all, like you said, about watching the setter. And then from there, you immediately, you I think I take a glance towards, like you said, the feet, but I'm not thinking about that at all. Now it's the hitter and it's just their arm swing, like where their shoulders are facing. And, you know, it's kind of like, just being hungry like you're you're like i'm going to block you and i'm going to reach over the net and there's going to be nowhere to go and i think when you have that mentality that's that's when you get the block when you're if you're thinking about other things or like where their shoulders like too much i think i think you got to get that kind of sense of urgency like glenn hope one day i was at national team practice junior national team practice and uh and he comes up to me, we had just done a blocking drill, and he, he comes up to me with an iPad and shows me a picture of like, I think it was like a bear or some kind of like mountain lion. And it was just had its like, just had its claws out, ready to go, like like pouncing on him. Like he's like, this is what you have to look like when you're blocking, like aggressive. Like, I guess I'm saying that again, like, but you know, you got to be aggressive at certain points in the game and, and blocking's definitely one of them. And it feels really good when you get that right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if anyone's been on YouTube and watched your highlights, uh, big block silly guy. Yeah. Like it's, uh... <laughs> well, that's that's the most fun. Like somebody's trying to do something and you're like, no, not, not today. <laughs> <laughs>
Now, do any uh, situations kind of influence your decision making? Like um, little things like if the middle starts behind the setter, can you kind of predict like just some laws of volleyball about like if they can't hit a push quick, are you then just alerting on the outsides? Or is there anything that uh, you can maybe advance some of our younger middles listening about? I understand the, the pureness of watching ball setter, ball hitter, but mm -hmm. uh, is there any like just situations where you maybe alert for, all right, the setter's in four, so I know this is a tough situation, so maybe we can get them out of system earlier, or is there anything to kind of look for about uh, how they can just be a little bit earlier or maybe aware of what's happening? Yeah, so I think I mentioned it before, like if the ball's coming from behind the setter, like that, some, some setters will not set middle from that. If the setters, if the ball's coming from from in front of the setter, a lot of setters feel more comfortable. Like that's like the perfect play. That's a lot of teams, especially younger teams, will just introduce balls to like a libero in five for like middle practice, where they're not used to having that ball come over their shoulder and set the middle. It could be a bit tougher. And like you said, if a middle is coming from two, so from behind the setter, uh, a lot of players will tend to swing to one so you're gonna like kind of i like to like show them one even more and then jump into it and and take it away but then there's the game then you kind of like do that one time then you're like set up the same way maybe you shuffle in and jump back to five the second time it's it's like R richard Schick always talked about playing the game the game within the game he would he would call it and it's just like you know you're going to do something one time, but the next time you you might do something different. Yeah, sometimes like it's also about setter positioning. When we look at it, charts uh, with my professional team, we'd look at where the setter would set it along the net. So when they're pushed back, uh, maybe the setter only likes the short distance set. So I might I might just release earlier or come along with the setter because they like the back set for when they're pushed back to two. So I can come along with the middle, move along with it, kind of disrespect that long distance set because I know this setter, you know, doesn't like to push it out. But a different setter, he might, you know, he might be that guy that loves the flashy long set uh, away away from the, the movement of the pass. So it's kind of, it's kind of depends on the setter a little bit, but uh, there are definite, definite cues you can pick up on. Now, we were lucky enough to have you out to one of our club practices, and I remember Jake and I were just kind of picking your brain, and we had kind of determined that middle is kind of an under-coach position, I think, because I think you need to be a decent level middle to know the cat-and-mouse things of the game within the game going. Like, I think coaches have a general idea, but where do you think you experienced the most growth? Was it kind of just self-taught and going through situations, or was there was your dad a big influence? Because I think if there is a position that's undercoached indoor youth volleyball right now, I'd say the middles get the least uh, specialized training, I should say. I, I would agree. And, like, my dad didn't really coach me when I was developing as a middle as much. Like I said, when I was younger, he, he was kind of putting me in different positions. And I'm thankful that I, I think I got a lot of ball control work from that. Um, I think the first time... Uh, it was a bit with Rich uh, at a high-performance camp. I remember that was the first time I did kind of like more significant mental blocking work. But a big part of my development was Matt Laborde. And as you said, he he was a middle blocker at UBC. He eventually moved out to the outside, but he was a middle blocker at UBC and he also played uh, professional for two years. And so him like 
and he could do all these things. I'd seen him in practice. I've seen him on video doing all these moves. So it's also kind of like a trust thing. Like as a player, to be able to see somebody do the the plays that you're trying to do, it's like, okay, like, okay, like that's what it looks like. And that that's helpful for me to, to see what it looks like and then go from there. Uh, so Matt Laborde was definitely a huge part. I think the systems that I got taught with the junior national team also, like, uh, helped me kind of like skyrocket into like being a better blocker. Like, all right, like, uh, I kind of learned one system at UBC a little bit different with the junior national team. And like, I'm kind of thinking like, what, what's working for me now? And then now I kind of started becoming my own type of player. Right. And, and that's when I think like good middles, like, like when you get shown different types of coaching, then, you know, you can kind of be like, like I, start really thinking about your perspective on the game and figure out what works for you. Yeah, let's segue there to the junior national team. So was your experience that you go to Gatineau, there's just an army of guys there, but there's also an army of coaches and people with clipboards and stats. Like, what was your first impression of, of trying out for Team Canada? Were you identified and invited, or were you just a walk-on, show up at tryouts and see how it goes? Uh, so it was like the, the Challenge Cup. So I was with Team BC, actually, uh, and so I was, I was a middle blocker, but there were some injuries on our team. So I ended up um, passing and hitting. I think I passed, but hit out of the right side. And I, but I, I still made the team as, as a middle blocker because I think they saw a little bit early on in the tournament. Then after the injuries, they're like, maybe they just saw good blocking in a a big guy that, that could play volleyball, I imagine. <laughs> but I, I was just there to to compete with Team BC. It was my, my first instinct. I honestly, I didn't, I knew that like junior national team was like an option like from this, but I wasn't really expecting to make it, I imagine, I, I guess would be uh, how I'd explain it. But then once I, when, once we had played the tournament and guys were talking about it, they're like, "Oh, like yes, you could be on the team." And I was like, "Oh yeah, that'd be that'd be great." <laughs> <laughs> so it wouldn't be a passing times episode if we didn't name drop. So who was on your squad? I think Jeremy Davies was on that squad. Like who else would have been around that year for that yeah, cycle? Yeah, uh, so Milan, the setter from UBC, with me. Jared Ireland was also from UBC. Uh, we had Riley Barnes, Steve Marr, Danny Demianko. Um, I'm gonna miss a bunch of people. Jason McCarthy was on. I was there for two years, so some of these kind of might be. Guy. Yeah, Casey Sheldon. Um, who else was on that team? And Dave Preston was the coach Dave, for both. Cycles, Dave Preston right? was the coach for for both because it was kind of a cycle thing. Like the first year we played the Norsecas, which were in Colorado Springs, and we ended up uh, with the silver medal, which was uh, kind of disappointing against the U.S. But but still a good showing which qualified us for uh, Worlds the next year, which was in Turkey. Um, so it was kind of like a little cycle there with, with the guys. And the core group stayed the same, you know, with with Riley and Steve on the outside for the most part. There was also Bruno Lorty was was a guy on the squad. Um, yeah. It's a, it's a pretty talented group of people. You look at that, there, there's a number of guys on the, on the national team now. So... Now, what do you remember from that experience? Because you would have went to that Norseka, I guess, as a Team BC guy. So before university, you would have played for Canada, right? So you were quite uh, That young. was the year 
it was I think it was the summer after my first year at the university. Oh, okay. So you did have a comparison that you you had played club at a high level, then you go to university, and then you and go then to I went to yeah. yeah. So what do you remember about that? Was was there much different in terms of the speed of the game, the preparation, or the systems that Preston and the rest of the coaches wanted you to run, or was it was it pretty well status quo from what you were used to? It was it was a big change, I think, and uh, and that was the first time I was kind of like just doing volleyball because although like Team BC, it was kind of like that, but this was like next level. Like we were we were working out a lot harder, and I. I got a lot stronger in, in that like summer uh, and came, I remember coming back to UBC afterwards and just being like, and everybody being like, Oh, Alex is like, I, I was now like the, the guy, the middle of our team, right. Just to coming in, coming back as a second year. And then, uh, yeah. So the junior national team, Dave Preston, like, yes, that he was looking at different stats that I'd never looked at before. It was definitely eye opening and, uh, great experience like junior national team i think made me the player i what i am today right now did you start thinking about going pro or did you have to finish up university before you started to get there like uh were coaches in your ear or did there happen to be any agents at world championships like when did that kind of spark your mind that you could you could play this game for a living i mean i that was always uh in the back of my mind like to play professionally but nobody was really approaching me at that at that time about going to play pro and I I was always going to finish my degree that was like you know instilled upon me like education super important I was going to finish that first and then uh but I was always of the mindset I was like yeah like get to play volleyball go to Europe <laughs> like get paid for it that's an, <laughs> that's an absolute no-brainer <laughs> So help us out here because every time I ask this question, I get kind of a unique twist on it where to use like the hockey analogy, it seems like you either go like the school route or the junior B or junior A level and like you get drafted, you get identified and you follow this pipeline and it seems pretty smooth and everybody's aware of it. Where volleyball, even hiring your agent's kind of an adventure, right? Because sometimes people just take a shot in the dark. Sometimes it's a friend of a friend that you just like, oh, I, I was with this agent mm -hmm. or an alumni at the same university. Like... How did you kind of start the conversation? Like, was your agent based in Canada or were they European? And then how did you decide to go to the Czech? Like, out of all the countries that maybe gave you an offer, how do you how do you pick what team you're going to with no information of your own, right? Yeah, it was, it was interesting. And I kind of went off people that had played before, like older UBC guys or alumni. And, and everybody's helpful, guys I knew from the beach. And I ended up with, like, a friend of a friend who recommended this agent uh wasn't my first choice i had a lot of agents talking to me once i graduated from ubc and asking like oh if you need a, a an agent like you could sign this contract but i went with a, a european guy which uh uh I, I thought was good he actually came to one of the games and like met me in person well when i was there which was nice uh yeah uh so from there Sorry, I forgot the other part. Oh, I was just question. wondering, like, how did you determine that you were going to play in the Czech? Like, uh, oh, yeah. did you know anyone who had played there before? Or did the agent just kind of tell you, you know, this is a good deal, you should take it? Because you, you've probably never met your club until you land on the plane oh. and you're their property, right? Like, how do you determine that that's the spot for you? Definitely. I I had, like, a, a couple choices, but in my first year, it was, it was not as great. So I, I it wasn't my first, like, option available, but... 
it was it was like pretty good paying and like i always wanted to visit the czech republic which was which is cool and i heard had heard of uh canadians in that league saying it was like actually pretty decent level so i was i was pretty excited to get that opportunity and my agent kind of was also hyping it up a little bit you know it was a really good opportunity this club will pay you and stuff like that which is which is pretty important because that does happen people not getting paid and stuff like that so uh, i thought i think it was a really good choice in the end and i ended up uh re-signing with them like you know a, a little bit more money uh and you know better better housing place and stuff like that so and they were really nice to me the whole time so they wanted me to come back uh, for a third year but uh, you know the beach you know beach was too tantalizing to to, to to leave so an athlete of your caliber how did you feel about the volleyball contracts kind of being one at a time like we had becky pavitt on the show and she liked it because it felt like she was betting on herself and if she liked the place she might renegotiate and try to stay there or she felt like she could always try to upgrade right like did you like the idea of a one-year contract or did you want more like security oh no i i was super happy with the one-year contract because uh, in my mind, I was like, yeah, this is like, it was a good contract and definitely great for my first year. But I was like, I think I, de I deserve more than this. But I, for my first year, this this will be okay. And uh, I'll kind of work my way up from there. And I that's why I really enjoy the, the one-year contract uh, deal. Because if you don't like it somewhere, you can move somewhere else. You, could, you, you can go to a different country, experience different cultures. I ended up really liking it. So I... Decided, decided to stay where I was. But I think it's pretty cool that after a year with a club, you can kind of reevaluate where you're at and how the club was and decide where you want to go now. Now, I should know the answer to this because we had Mark Wilson on the show who's still over in Czech and mm -hmm. really enjoying it. But uh, what was the situation on your team as far as like North Americans or foreigners? Was there any like language challenge with your coach or was everything in English and you were smooth sailing? Or <laughs> the, the first year... My coach didn't speak English at all, the, and uh, so we had like our captain translating to us, and it was it was pretty funny, like trying to decipher what the drills were going on. I was trying to learn Czech a little bit by little bit, and it, it worked to a certain degree. And <laughs> I especially know like the volleyball knowledge and like definitely numbers and stuff like that. And then we had a different coach come in like halfway through that season, actually. And uh, he spoke Czech and French, and luckily I speak French. So it was uh, him speaking Czech to all the Czech guys, then speaking French to me, and me speaking English to all the Americans and <laughs> Colombians and uh, other people that spoke English or didn't quite speak English, but that was the closest thing they were going to get. <laughs> so it sounds pretty unique. So with the Czech League, um. How many foreigners were on your team and how many like native Czech guys would have been on your squad? It was about half and half, actually. It's unlimited in the, the Czech league, so you can have as many foreigners as you want, as opposed to a lot of leagues where there'll be a cap at maybe three is kind of common, um, which made it kind of cool for me because I got to meet people from around the world. There were two Americans on the team in my second year. Uh, in my first year, I was living with a guy from Colombia. Who, who was a, another middle blocker, and it was it was really fun. There was a guy from Puerto Rico, uh, some guys from the Ukraine, and Slovakian, which is kind of still. And there was a Latvian and a Serbian also. So I played with a lot of different cultures, which I think 
it's interesting to see the kind of different mentalities from different cultures, even if it's just one player. I think you get a little glimpse into what the volleyball systems are like uh, in different countries. Now, how did you enjoy the lifestyle in Czech? Because one thing I remember from our interview with Mark is they they cracked down on drinking and driving. Like, there's no tolerance for it, which he said the, the ripple effect of that is every neighborhood is a pub in it, right? So there's a big sense of community, right? So would the squad go out for Pilsners after practice or after a game? Or did you get a sense that, like, the fan club would recognize you if you did walk into a pub? Like, what was the vibe in your town or city? Like, first of all, uh, where were you, I guess? What city were you in? So I was in a, a, a town called Odalinovoda small town of 5,000 people, uh, pretty close to Prague, but enough outside that it was it was farmland for sure. Nice. And it was, the sponsor was this airplane manufacturer. Uh, so every year we went on a tour of the airplane manufacturing uh, place, which was pretty cool. And so most of the town worked there. And, and like, that was kind of why the town existed, I guess. <laughs> and then they had a professional volleyball team, which was which was pretty cool. And uh, so walking around town, uh, people definitely knew, like, I was a volleyball player. Like, they'd say, they'd wave and say hi. And, like, if it was a game day, like, they'd, like, go arrow, like, good luck today, which is pretty cool. And like you said, yeah. And the guys did like to drink a lot. So they, we'd go for like a beer or two after practice, which was just normal in, in that cultural cultural. And, uh, and then, uh, but like the people would recognize us, but a lot of times they were just so happy to see us like, like, and, and like I said, it's their culture. So like for them to see us like have a beer after practice, like was pretty normal. Mm -hmm. Like it would, it'd be kind of weird if they didn't see us around every once in a while. Uh, so it was a lot of fun. So in your town, would they have uh, a hockey team or a soccer or football team, or was volleyball like the big show in town? Like, would you get a good crowd out to your matches? Yeah, we. It, well, it wasn't that big of a venue, but it was packed. Oh my gosh, playing at home was the was the best. We are. It's kind of if you can picture it, it's kind of like in a hole, and then the stands are above you, and it is loud in there. And there are about five or six guys that come with these big bass drums and just pound while the other team is trying to serve <laughs> <laughs> and just yelling. And they, they love it there. Like it's, it's super fun to play. And I, I like playing up to the crowd and like, couldn't have asked for more. That's definitely part of why I enjoyed it there so much. Nice. Nice. Very cool. So you did mention you had a, a chance to return, but uh, you gave this beach thing a shot. So <laughs> When did you start to consider it? And I'll, I'll admit this, sometimes us Ontario guys that just because we don't know who you are, people assume you're new to beach, but you're not new to beach. You, you grew up playing, you've been in these clivers, you've been at Van Open, you're just, you're playing on the other coast. So we didn't get to see you play, right? <laughs> so when was your big introduction to beach? And then what made you kind of flip the switch and try to, you know, turn this into your career versus indoor? Well, like I said, I started with my family, but I've got to give a big shout out to Matt Laporte, the assistant coach at UBC, who kind of, after, like, especially after my first year at UBC kind of was like, oh, like, we're going to like have a training session. Like he played with a guy named Johnny Wiskar, well known on the West Coast. Uh, Johnny and Maddie have won a lot of clivers. And uh, like they brought me out, kind of took me under their wings and like, this guy's going to be a good beach volleyball player, you know. And, and then Cliver, who runs the tournaments there, uh, he helped out a lot of the UBC practices while I was playing. So there was that kind of connection there. And my, my dad and Cliver are great friends too. So there, there was no way I wasn't going to be playing Clivers. Uh, 
I started, I think my first cliver, I was either 15 or 16 playing with my dad. And I remember looking at these, these guys just being like, wow, this is, this is unreal. Like, I think it was Gandhi, Ryan Gandhi, uh, who's uh, my height or a bit taller than me. And, uh, and Chong, uh, this really, really athletic guy. And Chong, Chong was doing push-ups in between sets. And I was like, Oh, I have to be start doing push-ups like all the time. Like I was like, if I want to be as good as these guys, I have to start doing this. And so like I was like, I knew I wanted to win a cliver someday. And took took a while. Like, and all the guys are super super fun. Like helping me. Like you know, I was playing with like guys my age. Then you start playing with guys a lot older than you. Then you kind of like you kind of bounce around and like find like wh who you want to play with and. A lot of the UBC guys opened up and like Rob Gotch playing with me. It was the first guy I ever uh, won a tournament with. And yeah, Clivers are a blast. That That's definitely a fact. So it sounds like it was just something you knew because obviously your dad's involvement are just through different guys you grew up with, right? So there wasn't like a, an initiation phase where we've had guys on like Zade or Joel Hannon who talk about like when they felt accepted by the group. It sounded like you were, <laughs> upon arrival, it was just something you knew and everybody knew of you, right? Yeah, a little bit. I, I, I think like guys will talk about playing me uh, now and they're like, I remember you and like we were beating you and now the tables have turned. But he's like, I remember beating you. But you were spin serving as like a fifteen year old, and like, <laughs> and like, like you were losing, and you started spin serving, and I was like, and he was like, I couldn't believe it. I was like, one day that kid's gonna be okay. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, like a lot of the like the point of the Clivers, like Clivers talked to me about this, is so that you know uh, up and comers can compete and be on the national team and create that that West coast presence, you know? And so I, I hope, I think I've talked to a lot of them and everybody's super pumped that like, finally we have like one West coast, like we've had other guys, but uh, I have been really involved with that community for a while now. And hopefully there's a lot of up and comers from there that I think we'll have a good shot at making the national team in the years to come. And that's pretty exciting. Yes. Yeah, so I guess I, if our listeners, if, if the, maybe this is the first episode, maybe you got them hooked, but in your own words, can you kind of just describe the kids' beach scene? And I know it, it's getting old. Everyone who's around it, I kind of bring up because I think it is a pretty cool thing where uh, I was with Logan uh, Mend and Thomas Soar. We went out there to a cliver and it was just such a cool vibe that everybody shows up and you're putting down you're putting down lines and putting up nets and just the culture of like, I remember Dan Caverly won prize money. He couldn't make it. So he gave Jim money and said, buy around. Like there's just <laughs> such like a foundation layer of culture there that it was just neat to see and be a part of that this is super high performance like i think i think we lost to you in the quarters uh nick del bianco was there caverly was playing with a different guy uh jake neal and gabriel Acu made the finals uh laborde played like it was like a pretty long list of just like wow this is such a good tournament but really it was like a saturday organized tournament by the guys right so just kind of as a local go into details about like how did the kids scene turn out this way with the challenge court and the clivers and everything else the van open like how, why is everyone so beach volleyball crazy but still such a good community well i think it's yeah i think it started with cliver and his group of friends and you know they're the what they say every time it's for the players by the players right so everybody's helping out and like you, it's just amazing how many people there's guys that come down 
to set up nets at 7 a.m. Uh, I will come, but there are guys that come and they don't even play in the tournament. Like <laughs> they're coming down at 7 a.m. on a Saturday to set up nets and lines, possibly in the rain because we're in Vancouver and they're, <laughs> they're not even going to play in the tournament. And it's just, it's just amazing. Like Doug Pinton, I know, will has come and set up and he helps Cliver bring everything out from his truck because there's sometimes 12, maybe more courts uh, on Kitts Beach. And it's, so all the players kind of chip in and help uh, take the nets down at the end of the day. And it's all, all the money gets put back into the players. And then you have Seymour and, and Danny Moore, who started more for less, the beer sales <laughs> at the, I mean, barley waters. They, start, they serve bar, <laughs> barley waters and, uh, and apple juice at the beach. And uh, all the money they made from that has gone back into, the, into buying new lines and stuff like that. So I think a lot of it has to do with people kind of, you know, recognizing what the community is and, and giving back. And I would love, I would love to keep giving back to the community as much as I can over the years because it gave me so much to be thankful for. Um, and yeah, if I can help set up, that's the least I can do. Now the Van Open has really grown into something special because of obviously some great sponsors and people in the community with the prize money and the way they did the grandstands and stuff. But even years back before the prize money was this big, it was still probably the best event in Canada. So as a guy who's seen it kind of grow into what it is now, what stands out in your mind that makes that, again, another super high performance event, but there's still a big sense of community where as soon as you get knocked out, you're in the beer garden, you're still involved. Like nobody's in a bad mood there. It doesn't seem like at a van open, right? Yeah, I think it's like it's the KBVA kind of creates that environment there, right? And and now they have the WKVA, so the women have started kind of their thing. And, and when you bring it all together at the van open, like it's like... It's like the thing you're looking forward to all summer. It's like the best, the best thing, the best part <laughs> of summer and the Vancouver Open. Everybody's kind of like talking about it, like who's playing with who at the beginning of the summer. And, and when it finally happens, like you're just having a blast, like, like win or lose, like obviously everybody wants to do well, but if you're not, you're in the beer garden and like, that's a win in its own right. Like you, you're, you're going to be having a good day. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. So hopefully that uh, clears anything up for anyone who sees you on the national team and go, Oh, this guy must just be an indoor guy giving this beach thing a shot. No, you've been a beach guy for years and you put your time in. It's just now other, other provinces get to see you. And obviously all of Canada gets to cheer for you now. So what kind of change for you? There's rumors that maybe Grant O'Gorman had some influence over you or what really made you uh come out to nationals, come out to selection camp and, and give this beach thing a shot because you had to relocate. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. I, I'm just going to say you're not getting rich doing this, at least not now without the prize money and everything else. So what kind of influenced your decision to, to move to Toronto and, and try this beach thing? Yeah, true. Uh, I feel like I've been getting a little bit better every year and I've kind of had it in the back of my mind. Like I remember years ago, like, me and Brian, Brian Hebert, who is uh, who was a good player uh, in BC and also a ref, uh, he he's talking to me about like, you know, I really see it. Like you could you could have a shot at this. Like if you wanted to do it now, like, and I was like, yeah, but like this indoor thing, like it's guaranteed money over there, and then and then playing with Grant at Seaside this year. Seaside is another great tournament, by the way, down in Oregon. Uh, which 
is amazing. If you've never heard of it, I would, I would look that up as well. But uh, Grant was kind of in my ear telling me a little bit more about, you know, what it would look like and kind of getting the pic picture in my mind and, and like, you know, like it's like doable. Like if you start now, like it's kind of a good time, like it's an Olympic year, but then looking forward to like the next Olympics and stuff like that. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, it's just sounding, sounding more and more doable. And a lot of thanks to him for kind of nudging me in that direction for sure. And he got me connected with you. And then I ended up uh, staying at your place for nationals. Thanks again for that. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, so I, I, I'm super happy with my decision so far. So let, let it be known then if any other BC people want to make the switch <laughs> that uh, Dan Caverly, this is a direct message to you. It's yeah. not too late if you want to give it a shot or... Uh, I know the Pacific Beach Volleyball Club's got a good thing going or any of those kids guys or the, the up-and-comers. Maybe there's a 15-year-old Alex Russell out there listening who's already spin serving and he wants to give it a shot. But uh, it's not so bad out here, I don't it's think. Not, it's <laughs> not so bad. I mean, you know, the cold and it's, it's raining in Vancouver, but there's some nice days here. <laughs> I know you don't get the ocean and the mountains and everything else, but if, if Megan and Nicole can do it and you can do it, then I feel like we... The train's left the station. We've got some momentum. We're going to get some more people from across Canada to come, and it's going to be a good thing. So For I'm sure. glad you're enjoying it so far, and hopefully you could spread the word. Uh, so you and Liam have already competed in one event. Mm -hmm. What was your first international experience like uh, at the Cook Islands One Star? Uh, yeah, it was really cool. So... Cook Islands, for those of you who don't know, is uh, an island off the coast of New Zealand. And it, it, it's a group of islands. And this one of 16 is Rarotonga, where we were playing. And uh, it's, it's a pretty, pretty cool place. Like You could drive around the island in about an hour or so. And there's like there are two buses that go on the island. One goes clockwise, and the other goes anti-clockwise. <laughs> <laughs> so it's pretty funny. Uh, the tournament itself was a huge eye opener for me, uh, just to kind of see what it was like on on the world stage, what was what it, what it took, and like kind of how tournaments are run uh, a little bit. And you know, it was a big learning experience. I think I was. Uh, we could have done a lot better than we did. We ended up finishing fifth uh, to a good American team, uh, but we definitely had more in us. And I'm excited to to learn from that and, and bring it back into the next event we, we have for sure. Yeah, that was a, a pleasant sign for me that you guys get home and I go, oh, like good result, man. Congrats on the fifth. And you go, no, we could have done better. And it's good that you just didn't hang your hat and say like, yeah, top five with my first international tournament this is going to be easy. Like you wanted more and you, you've been putting in the work. So What's next for you, Liam? I understand you got Norseka Trials. Is it going to be uh, an event that you guys are going to play in? And then what, what do you think is going to be your next World Tour event? Well, we're, we're kind of struggling. We're trying to get into the Cambodia's two-star right now, but we're a little bit down on the list because of points since that was my first first event on the World Tour. So uh, there is another one-star in Malaysia uh, coming up after that, which will definitely be doable for us. But hopefully we could maybe sneak into this Cambodia one. And then uh, after that is a three-star in Australia, depending on points again. But if not, uh, hopefully we do well at the Norseka trials. And when the Norseka schedule comes out, we get to compete in more of those to get those points higher so we can make some of the, the, the bigger tournaments for sure. Thanks. And my uh, last beach question I've gone on about this, but uh, one thing that was cool was when we had Ben Saxon on the show, he kind of... Uh, influenced inspired me whatever you want to call it we kind of ran a pilot of his league here and you got a chance to play in it for a couple of weeks uh 
since you, you've probably seen it out west, actually you would have been a check so you didn't get a chance to see the original, but now that you've experienced it, how do you think that's going to help uh, what the NBVL is doing and what we're doing out here to kind of, I don't want to say grow the sport of beach volleyball, but give it more attention, give it more awareness. Like, how did you enjoy playing in the league? You got to partner with Jake McNeil. Uh, the format's kind of cool. Just tell me about your experience and what uh, what you learned from the league, I guess. Yeah, I had a blast playing in it, and I, I didn't really know what to expect going in. And so the format itself was pretty cool because you have, you're paired with uh, a team of the opposite gender. So then if your team wins and your your other team loses, then you'll go to what we call, it's apparently overtime, but, <laughs> but me and Jake called it the golden set, which I, I kind of liked, and which is a set to 15 in which uh, each, uh, each game, girls and guys, takes one point and then it alternates. So if you win your, your point, then your girls team gets to serve and vice versa. So playing in one of those in the very first time I played in, in the league was really cool. Uh, I think the league is is great because it gives a chance for uh, a lot of people in the community to maybe come out and see like national team players play at like a local level, and it also gives a chance for uh, maybe maybe some players who don't have an opportunity to play as much as they'd like to on the world tour to get like high quality uh, games in against high quality teams, which is really cool, and like. The, the quality of that volleyball is, is just phenomenal. And to get it like on a competitive level like that, I, there's, you can't go wrong doing that. That's cool. Awesome. Thanks for coming on. Uh, hopefully building the bridge once again from, you know, all those unterrible chants. You know, I shouldn't say that because when I was out there, everybody was super nice to me and super <laughs> inclusive. It's just sometimes our players, mostly Dallas, would come back and say like, oh, they cheered me about this or they cheered me about that. But uh you know, it's a good people. I think it's a good rivalry, and I think it's good for Canadian volleyball that uh, we don't always have to love each other, that we can, you know, chirping's entertaining, it gets the people going, and it's fun, I think, right? But it's not, I don't feel like it's a hatred thing. No, we're just giving you a hard time, and like, you know, if if we came up to nationals or whatever, and you gave us a hard time, we we can have a beer after. It's still, it's all, <laughs> it's all in good fun. <laughs> awesome. So, Hopefully we can get you back on the show. If not, a few more BC people are just dying to be on the show. You know, we're trying to get Heebs. We're trying to get a few other people. I think Jody would be great with uh, Wico Bevo. There's so many people. We got, it's a weekly show, but we're getting down our list. So I think uh, the more people, the better. I mean, I see more Sandy episode. I feel like that, oh, would, that, be, would, be, that would be, we might have to do that one after dark. Oof. That might have to be a paid for episode <laughs> because we just can't give away those stories for free, but uh, we'll find a way. But anyways, Thanks uh, for coming on the show, telling us the stories and kind of giving us an insight of uh, not only your volleyball journey, but uh, the good thing that BC's got going. And like I said, hopefully uh, this inspires a few more people to give it a shot. And I want to thank you for coming out and making our national team better. You know, we were joking the other day that Mike Matinga used to be the biggest blocker. Now he might be on the smaller side with you, <laughs> Hoey. Like we got some big boys. Chris Tao isn't here yet, but uh, I think the, the national team's trending in the right direction and you're a big part of that. So mm -hmm. thanks for being on the show and thanks for making this dive in the beach. Thanks for having me.